Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic tonight is Joseph Part 3, Joseph's Rough Talk. I'd like to set this up a little bit at the beginning here that uh, this is the third in a series. I really try to have these Bible studies be standalone so you, you don't have to have a, a background in what we were doing before. We just happen to be in a series about Joseph now. And we looked in the first one about where Joseph came from and the fact that he was one of 12 brothers. And he was born very late uh, in the game. He was second to last in the family. And he was the son of, his father had two wives and, uh, and two other women by which he had children. And uh, Joseph was the son of his favorite, Rachel. And then there was another son named Benjamin who will figure in tonight. And Benjamin was born even later uh, these were sons of Jacob's extreme old age. Jacob was uh, fully 91 years old when Joseph was born and 98 when Benjamin was born. So <laughs> that's a rather elderly father. And there was a big spread. I think Reuben is 26 years older than, than Joseph and so on. So the, the, he was the oldest. There was a big spread in the family. And uh, last time we got together... We talked about Joseph rising through adversity. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was imprisoned. And, and yet whatever he did, it seemed like he just got better and better. And he was just a really solid, wonderful person who was, kept being wronged. And the reason we're thinking about this at this time of year in particular is that it relates to the Easter story. Part of what we do in this Bible study is, is look at the Bible as having layers of meaning. And as Jesus says, all of it has to do with him. So we're looking at how the Joseph story relates to the Jesus story and seeing if we can see anything about that. And tonight I'm fascinated with Joseph's rough talk. We'll get into this in a little bit. Um, why don't I tell you what the Spirit and Life Bible Study is? Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens. Swedenborgian meaning that it is in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies, we feel, to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So would you care to join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us, Lord, so that we may see and glimpse the divine love that you have and the divine truth and what it is you were doing when you were in this world and when you were resurrected. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. Amen. Amen. And sending out greetings not only to those of you who are here in the flesh, but also to those of you who are receiving the message online and getting it through the audio version and over the phone and various different means that the Lord brings us together, for which I'm very grateful. All right, uh, as you may remember in our last episode, those of you who are tuned into that, uh, there was a famine in the land. Joseph had foreseen that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of starving, and he had advised Pharaoh 
uh, to store up all this grain. And in one day, Joseph went from being a prisoner, a Hebrew bearded prisoner, to suddenly wearing all the clothing of state, being the second in command in this very large, powerful nation of Egypt. And uh, he was in charge of storing up grain during the seven years of plenty. And as our story opens tonight, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 42 because we are now uh, two years into the famine. And meanwhile, all Joseph's family, you see, he got sold into slavery, so he was taken away. And as far as everybody else in his family was concerned, he was dead. He was gone. They, you know, they thought about killing him. They decided not to, but they sold him into slavery. And they figured that's the last we'll ever see or hear of him. He, he's, he's just gone. He's off the radar. His father considers him dead, grieves for him. And so he's down there in Egypt living a life they know nothing about. Meanwhile, they're back up in the Holy Land. And, uh, and all the nations of the known world at that time were going through this terrible famine. So let's pick up a chapter 42. Uh, often in this Bible study in the past, we jump around and look at verses all over Scripture. But this time the Lord has us going sequentially. And so let's have a look at chapter 42 here. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt... This is Joseph's father. Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And these are his sons. These are the 11 other sons who are back with him uh, up in the land of Canaan. Go on. And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Well, wait, there was eleven. Why do you say the ten went down? Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin uh -huh. with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Now, you will see in this story that Benjamin, uh, Joseph's beloved younger brother, um, is referred to as a lad. He's living with his father's father's protecting him. It was a surprise to me to learn today that he was 32 years old. You know, it's, it's kind of on the old side to be referred to as a lad. But, but, uh, but I guess when the father is up into his 120s by now, he seems pretty young <laughs> at, at 32. Uh, go on. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And if you remember this story, we dealt with this in previous Bible study also, that Joseph had this dream when he was 17 years old that all his brothers would bow down to him. And this was very offensive to them, because they were older than he was. Who you know, what are you saying that we're gonna bow down to you? So that's important backstory if you don't know that. Uh, now, okay, go on. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. He got this coveted position by interpreting Pharaoh's dream. He was the only one who could understand the dream and the prophecy that it meant. And because of that wisdom, because the Spirit of God was in him, he was now in charge of all this grain and keeping not only Egypt, but all the surrounding nations alive during seven years of famine. And look at what happens. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Okay, now do they know that it's Joseph? No, they have no idea. He has an Egyptian name now. The text keeps referring to him as Joseph, but we learn in previous chapters that his name is Zafnath Panania, and uh, that he uh, has a wife who is uh, an Egyptian. 
He has a couple of half-Egyptian children. Uh, he's in the court. He's, he's the second most powerful person in the land. And he speaks Egyptian. He probably walks like an Egyptian, for all I know. <laughs> and um, so, okay, go on. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Ah, you see? Joseph recognized them. And part of what I want you to try to think about here, I, I find this story fascinating because to, to sort of cut to the chase, Joseph means the Lord. He's a picture of Jesus and particularly of the divine love. Now, the divine love is the most important quality in God. We read in, in 1 John that God is love uh, and that if you don't realize that, you don't know God. Uh, God is love. And what that love is particularly is a desire to help and save the entire human race. It's a universal love. And this is the love that Jesus had. You know, he was God in son of God and a human mother type of thing. So he had the full divinity, indivisible divinity inside himself, but a human mother. And here he was in the world with this love for the human race. And so what I see in the picture of Joseph that we're about to look at is Joseph's interacting with his brothers, but there's two entirely different states of consciousness there. Joseph is in a state that I think Jesus was in in this world where he is conscious of, he, he recognizes his brothers, he knows them. They don't recognize him. They don't know him. So there's two different, and that's kind of like the disciples and, and Jesus, so, you know, the 12 disciples. They didn't, they didn't really get Jesus. They didn't really know what was going on. Uh, Jesus knew what was going on with them. And it's fascinating to me that a text that was written like 4,000 years ago has this interiority, has this kind of psychology. Look at what we learn from this. This is one of the most important verses right here, 42 verse 7. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Weird. See, we, our title tonight is Joseph's Rough Talk. He speaks roughly to them. They have no idea who he is. He recognizes them immediately. There's no barrier on his side. They walk in like, oh, there they are. Look, there's Reuben. There, you know, there's everybody. There's the whole gang. He except Benjamin. Benjamin's not there. He sees them all, recognizes them immediately, but he makes himself a stranger to them. Why would you do that? That's so weird. You know, wouldn't you think that after you haven't seen your long-lost family, even though it didn't go very, very well, you know, the last <laughs> time you were with them, they did sort of think about killing you. They did throw you in a pit and then have a nice lunch together. And uh, they did uh, sell you into slavery. So that wasn't so great. But still, you know, if you've sort of managed to forgive them and you've gotten over that and some years have gone by and here you are, you're in a wonderful situation as a result of what they did, even though they hadn't intended it for good to you. Uh, might you not sort of think, and especially if you think of Joseph as the embodiment of divine love, wouldn't you just say, hey, there you all are. Don't you know me? Don't be fooled by the makeup and all that stuff. It's me. You, you recognize me? No. And he just speaks Egyptian, you know. And, he's, and there's an interpreter who, who says stuff. No, look at what he does. <laughs> it's difficult to spell. Go on. Then he said to them, where do you come from? Where do you, you know. Now, Scripture often shows us God asking people seemingly dumb questions. Like God knows the, 
you know, I know exactly where you're from. I know all about, you know, where are you from, you know? Isn't this interesting? Okay, go on. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Mm -hmm. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Yeah. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed mm. about them and said to them... All right, now look at that. You see? What is Joseph going through? Isn't it wonderful? You see what I mean about interiority? It's like we got this omniscient camera. We know what's going on inside Joseph, which his brothers don't know. But we know what's going on in the brother, you know, and, and it's an amazing kind of view that we get. So Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. And I think this is really fundamental to Jesus' experience when he was in this world. And think for a minute about the fact that when Jesus was young, this is what he was reading. He was reading this, you know, he was reading the Joseph story and learning about what it was going to be like to be him in this world, that he would not be he would recognize others, they wouldn't recognize him. And look at this, Joseph remembers the dream, so he's going through, oh look, it's the family. Now look at what's going on inside him. Oh look, it's my brothers. Who are you? You know? Oh wow, I remember the dreams I had. And what does he say after he remembers the dreams? Remember the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. Now wait a minute, how is that a... How do you put and in that sentence, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember those dreams. Hey, you're spies, you know? Weird. Why would you behave that? It's so unrepresentative of who he is, you know? Isn't this kind of it oddly, like it says in, in the New Testament, that you shouldn't be wolves in sheep's clothing? And yet here he is an Israelite, but he's in Egyptian clothing, and he's totally playing it up, Right? He's not giving them anything to work with. Go on. You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Mm. <clears throat> and they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. Okay, this is very important. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Okay. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. <laughs> He's really playing it to the hilt, you know. Uh, we find out later he's got an interpreter. He has a bunch of courtiers with him. He's, no, you know, and he's probably standing up on a high thing and he's got all the Egyptian thing and his, his beard is curled into the thing and he's speaking Egyptian and <laughs> he, he's just cranking the whole thing. Uh, and so when they push back a little bit, and they're actually honest this time. They haven't always been so great, uh, but they're actually being honest with him. Uh, but he keeps hammering it. No, no, I know why you're here. Look at verse 13. Now listen carefully to what they say. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers. Aha. Uh -huh. Did he ask them how many of them there were? No. no. Did he say, Do you, don't you have another brother who isn't here? There's only 10 of you? No. Who comes up with the information that there's 12 of them? Oh, they just they... volunteered. Oh, yeah, there's 12 of us. You know, they're probably nervous and yammering away, and they say, oh, yeah, there's 12 of us. And this becomes very important. Go on. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And, in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and no one, and one, oh, sorry, and one is no more. Is no more. The That's a reference to Joseph, father. that Joseph is dead. He is no more. So they're just blabbing away. But, yeah, we got another brother who's, you know, this becomes very relevant that they're talking about Benjamin. Now, he didn't ask a thing about it. They just volunteered the information. And so Joseph's reply, 
And he's probably very touched to hear about Benjamin, to think of him, to picture him. And so therefore, with a heart full of love, he says what? Joseph said to them, it is, it is as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. Yeah, you are spies. <laughs> In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Mm. Send one of you. Okay, this is plan A. And let so we've got 10 of you, so we'll send one of you to go back. Okay. Send one of you and let him bring your brother. And, and what's going to happen to all the rest of them while they're waiting? And you shall be kept in prison. Oh, yeah, we'll throw all the rest of you in prison. Does this qualify as rough talk? It's, you know, kind of rough. You know, I'd be scared. Go on. <laughs> that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And just to back up his word... In a friendly, loving way. He put them all together in prison three days. Yeah, he threw the ten of them in prison for three days just to soften them up a little bit to get them to think about themselves. Wow, isn't that weird? Total pure love. Just, oh, I'm so moved to see you. You're spies. I insist. End of prison with all of you. Wow, what is going on? <laughs> Why would you... It almost seems like he's deceiving them or something. You know, why is he... Why isn't he tipping his hand here? Go on. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. <laughs> yeah, okay. So after three days in prison, they're softened up a little bit. Then he says, Okay, here's what you can do if you don't want to die immediately. <laughs> okay? If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. Ah, he's had a change of heart. You see, he said, I fear God. So first, the plan A was... We'll send one of you back and keep nine of you in prison. But plan B was, we'll keep one of you in prison, send nine of you back. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. Okay, so this is the first little inkling that he's not a total monster. It's not very convincing, but it's at least a little inkling that he says, okay, I'll let, I'll let nine of you go back and you can take food because I know you're all starving or whatever. Only an Egyptian with an attitude. Go on. <laughs> and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So on pain of death, they're asked to bring their brother down. Now, this is his goal. He wants to be reunited with Benjamin. And that's why he's doing this whole act. He figures this is a way to get Benjamin down here. Uh, so he's got an aim that will end up being, as we'll see, very good for everybody. But in the short run, he's not generating a whole lot of love from them by his actions. He's kind of scaring the heck out of them. Go on. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Ah, you see what's going on? Even though that was events of of um, 13 plus 9, 22 years earlier, as soon as there's like trouble, they, their guilt comes to the surface, right? And the funny thing, they're talking about Joseph, even though they've just been talking to him. But they say, oh, this is happening because of what we did. You know, that guilt is still rumbling in their spirit of like, oh, I know why we're going through this, why this is going so badly. 
is because of what we did to, to Joseph. That's, that's what that is. And you hear a detail here that we never heard before in the story. What did it say again? We saw the what? We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Wow, when you read the original story when he's thrown in the pit, there's nothing about him being anguished. You don't hear him say anything. But what a detail here that he's just, his face is just racked with pain as they throw him in the pit, and he's crying out, don't, don't do this thing. Please, I beg you, don't do this thing. And they looked at him. Now, isn't it interesting that that stayed with them in their spirit? all those years, that they remember it like yesterday, that, the, oh, yeah, that's the first place their mind goes, to the look of anguish on his face when they threw him in the pit. And that's why this is happening. Oldest brother, Reuben, who Reuben. at the time, as some of you remember, had argued that they not mistreat the, the kid. <laughs> that Reuben just decides to get a lick in here. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Yes. And they're standing there right in front of Joseph having this conversation, by the way. <laughs> they didn't leave the room or go back to the hotel or whatever you had back then. And they're standing right in front of him. And look at verse 23. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Oh, it's so interesting. I, I don't know if I can get across why I find it so fascinating, but one reason I find it so fascinating is that I think that this book right here, this has the divine love in it, but it's yelling. Isn't it often yelling? You're spies, you know? I don't believe you. You have no truth in you. Now, this picture of someone who has total love inside but is really talking rough on the outside. Explain something to me, A, about Scripture, about the way that Scripture comes across, because Scripture's all dressed up like an Egyptian, very convincing, all the makeup and speaking the foreign language and everything, uh, and yet it represents this divine love inside there. We'll see some in instances of that divine love come out even more powerfully later. And I also think it represents our lives. In our lives, do, do we not go through a lot of our lives thinking that God is some meanie with his crossed arms and the yelling and the pointing and the, no, yes, you know, throw you in prison for three days. And then you just think, oh, it was so great to see them. And, you know, <laughs> um, go on. And Joseph turned himself away from them and wept. There it is. So he's got to weep, but he's not, don't let him see you sweat. You know, when you're second to Pharaoh, don't let him see you weep. That's a rule of holding power, you know? So he just, one moment, you know. <laughs> yes, go on. Okay. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Yes, okay, ties him right up in front of all of them. Okay, and then this fun little detail. <laughs> then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack. And <laughs> so, you see, there's words, there's rough talk, but the deeds are, he gave them all their money back. He didn't even take their money. He put the money back in the sack. Go on. And to give them provisions for the journey. Oh, yeah, he did a little extra. Gave them their money back, gave them some extra for the trip. So the love is coming out in the actions but they have no idea what's going on. Thus he did for them. 
So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. Right. Now, money represents Joseph's love. How does that come through to them? So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, yes. and they were afraid. They're absolutely devastated. No. Their hearts just fit. Oh, we are so dead, you know? <laughs> Poor Lord, you know, he just keeps pouring out the love, and, you know, and they just don't get it. Okay, go on. Saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Yes, you see? God is doing something nasty to them. <laughs> and he's not. He's doing something loving to them, but they don't get it. And in the short run, he's willing to be hated or feared or whatever to get there. Okay. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them. And what do they say? Saying, the man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us. Yes. Joseph's rough talk. He spoke, you know, even they, even by ancient Hebrew standards, this was rough talk. You know, this was not a pleasant exchange. It was a little tense, you might say. Go on. And took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We're not spies. Now listen to the way they tell the story. The first time they tell it honestly. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. So when they're recounting the story, they just say, we volunteered the fact that there's 12 of us. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, that, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Mm. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks... That this is back when they're back home. ...that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. It wasn't only one of them. All of them got their money back. And, and so how did they react to this kindness? When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Yes, it was absolutely terrifying to, re to receive that nice gift. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. <laughs> so he accuses... And, and somewhat rightfully. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Why is he no more? Oh, he's bound up and he's in Egypt, like, like he's not there anymore. So he's just figuring, well, we'll write off Simeon. You know, he's just going to get killed. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. I like that little statement at the end there. All these things are against me. You ever had that feeling about life? Mm -hmm. that, you know, all these things, like everything is going against me. This is going to turn into the best news that he ever had in his life. But right now, he thinks it's a terrible disaster. Mm. Go on. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Okay, so Reuben, the oldest, tries to provide a surety by saying, You can kill my son. I don't know how that helps. But you can <laughs> kill my sons if I don't bring him back. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said... My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left all alone. All alone of the two children of Rachel. Like he's got lots of siblings, but in terms of Rachel, there was only two kids. Joseph's gone, so Benjamin's all alone. Can't risk it. 
If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Okay, so that act of the play comes to an end and everything's just at a stalemate. We have to bring Benjamin. I'm not sending him, says the dad. Okay, that's where we are. Okay, chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. <laughs> hey, why don't you guys just go back to Egypt and, and pick up some food? But and you, this time Judah took on the little opportunity to say something to his father. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now listen to what the father says. <laughs> and Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? You idiots. <laughs> if you hadn't mentioned you, why do you have to? Oh, well, we have another brother who's not here. <laughs> you know, oh, man. You know, and so what do they reply? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family. Saying, no, he didn't. <laughs> saying, is your father still alive? No, he didn't say that. Have you another brother? No, he never said that. And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? <laughs> we were just answering his question. No, they weren't. They volunteered it right out of the gate. The first thing they said, oh, well, there's 12 of us, you know, and one's back with dad and, you know. <laughs> All right, so they're good fun. Then, and this time Judah tries to make a surety. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. Mm. I myself will be surety for him. Yes. From See, Reuben promised his sons. That wasn't good enough. But Judah's saying, I myself will be that surety. Mm. And Reuben, by the way, means something having to do with faith, and Judah means something having to do with love. Love is what needs to provide the surety. Go on. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Hmm. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. I think that means take triple, mm. like take enough to buy the grain and then take what he returned to you and then double that. So mm. take triple the money with you. Perhaps it was an oversight. Yes, right. <laughs> Take your brother also and arise. Go back to the man. And, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. If I am bereaved, I'm bereaved. So this J Jacob finally reaches a point of just resignation. Like the famine has gotten so bad, they're going to die anyway. So... You know, famine is just driving him into this situation he doesn't want to be in, where he's got to let go of Benjamin. 
So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Although they thought he was Zephnath Baaneah. Now, here's Joseph. He was playing this long game. Then you're spies. The only way you can prove to me that you're not is bring me that younger brother you claim that you have. And uh, what he really wants to do is be reunited with Benjamin. So what happens when he sees Benjamin? When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Interesting, the tone has changed a little bit of like now Benjamin is there, so the treatment improves. Mm. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Yes, and as a result of this kindness, how did they feel? <laughs> now the men were afraid yes. mm -hmm. because they were brought into Joseph's house. Uh-oh, we're being brought into his house. <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks oh, the no. first time that we are brought in. It's because of the money. So that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Yes, we have to be concerned about the donkeys as well as ourselves. <laughs> that He's, he's going to try to take us for slaves and our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But now they're talking to the steward. This is not Joseph. This is the steward. Okay, And they feel the need to sort of get this off their chests about the money. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Now listen to what Joseph Stewart, Joseph Stewart is cut out of the same piece of cloth as Joseph here. What does he say to them? But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you the treasure in your sacks. I had your money. I had your money. Is that true? No, it's not true. They just took the money and stuck it right back in their sack. There's, no, I had your money the whole time. Uh, that's just from God. Isn't it weird, this, all the lying and the, you know, or posturing or something? What is this? Go on. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Okay, there he is. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Yeah. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Okay, he's about to come at noon. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. And what do they do? And bowed down before him to the earth. They're doing it again. Now, do they know it's Joseph? No. No, they still don't know it's Joseph. They still think they're bowing down before Zaphnath Baaneah. Go on. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? And listen to what he adds. The old man of whom you spoke? Yes. Is your father well? Uh, the old man of whom you spoke. <laughs> you know? He's going out of his way not to tip his hand that, oh, I, you know, that's my father too. Mm -hmm. Is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. There, they, they did it again. Then okay. he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. See, it emphasizes mother's son because his mother Rachel 
It was a long time before she had childbearing, and she had Joseph, and then seven years later, she has Benjamin, and she died in the act of giving birth to Benjamin uh, and was buried in Bethlehem. And so this is the only other brother of his, of his mother. All the rest are sort of half-brothers. And, and what does he say? Joseph's he sees Benjamin, knows exactly who he is, knows his mother, all, the whole bit, right? And, and what does he say? And said, is this your younger brother of is whom you spoke to brother? me? Is this your younger brother? He's still doing the bit. Go on. And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, now what happens? Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Yeah, now isn't this interesting? I don't know what we glimpse here, but you see, when we see Jesus in the New Testament, he's always on. He's surrounded by crowds. There are the disciples, the Pharisees, enemies, everybody. Once when Lazarus dies, you see him weep and stuff like that. This, I wonder how much sort of turning and weeping he had to do when he was alive in this world. But look at this. He has to go back into his room and just weep there for a while. And then what does he do? Then he washed his face and came out. So he's just sobbing in the back room, you know, but he's got to keep the full Egyptian thing going here. And, uh, and so he washes his face and then he goes back out there and he says, okay, let's eat. And he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Yes, you see, this is spiritual work for him. He's restraining himself not to reveal himself. It runs so counter to the way that we might do things. Go on. So they set him a place by himself. Oh, he was by himself. And them by themselves. I see. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay, so you have a little dietary problem here, like you've got your <laughs> vegans and your meat eaters or something. So you have to split them up, and you have one group over here and one group over there, and then Joseph's eating by himself, which is interesting. He's not in either camp. Um, Go on. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Yeah, it must be hard sometimes to keep them all straight. And, you know, Jacob probably calls them by the wrong name and stuff. Uh, but somehow they're all lined up perfectly at the table. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. Mm. This blatant kind of favoritism, just, just like the food is like piled up on his plate. <laughs> so they drank and were merry with him. Now, did they get this far with him? They still haven't connected yet, but they're much closer, aren't they? They're dining together. They're not in the palace. They're in his house, right? And Benjamin has allowed this rapprochement to occur where the, the, two, of them are, the, the two groups are closer than they were before. Uh, go on. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Here we go again. And also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. Yes, I think he realizes that he's going to have to let them go and then try to get them back. You know, he can't just sort of, he might like to imprison them right there on the spot, but he's got no cause or whatever. So he's going to put his cup in Benjamin's sack, and then try to arrest him and get him back. Uh, the cup and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. 
When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Interesting. He's having his steward chase him. Now, does Joseph know what he's doing? Like he's just three steps ahead of them. They have no idea what he's going to do next. And they're just blindsided by everything that happens. But he knows what he's doing. And he sends his steward out, say, why, why have you done this? And is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? Oh, that's sort of an Egyptian thing. Like you're not even allowed to do that as a Hebrew. That's against the rules to practice that divination. But he says he practices divination somehow with this cup. Mm. You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Yeah, they actually are innocent this time. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. Yeah, right. It's a good plea, isn't it? It's a good argument. Look, we brought the money back. Are we really going to be dishonest and steal from you or something? How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Mm. And then they make a rather rash promise. With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be Lord, the Lord will be my Lord's slaves. They feel so sure that the cup is not in anybody's sack that they say, "Kill the one who's got the cup, and all the rest of us will be your slaves." Uh, and the so the guy, and then the steward says, "The steward says, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless." Which is not what they said. He's kind of softened their words. It was, kill the one who's got it, and all the rest will be slaves. And he says, yes, exactly as you say. The one who has the cup will be a servant, and the rest of you can go. <laughs> then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest. Oh, yeah, it's just great, isn't it? And left off with the youngest. That's right. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, they get down the tension. You know, you open each sack and then you get down the end. There's the cup. Now, do they feel, well, this was a nice gift from, you know, no. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey <laughs> and returned to the city. It doesn't say what the emotion is except for the tearing the clothes. But don't you feel like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, they get back on the donkey, back into the city. So mm. Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. Yes, for the umpteenth time, they bow right down to the ground before him, still not knowing that he's Joseph. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Yeah, like, don't you know that I have a kind of spiritual insight? I can catch you, you know, like you think you're going to get away with something with me? I know what's going on. You think I, I can't tell what you're doing? Then Judah said, What mm. shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Wow, isn't that interesting? He kind of confesses. You know, you found out our iniquity. So Judah is taking the lead here. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. And so... But he said, Joseph says, he, yeah, Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. He's, 
he's at this point only interested in Benjamin. Like he's just trying, the whole ploy has been just to get together with Benjamin. So he doesn't need to enslave all of them. It's just, just, he's just trying to hang on to Benjamin and keep him. And then Judah comes near. This is sort of powerful where he kind of, probably they would, you would leave this awesome kind of space around the mighty person. But he, he approaches more nearly and listen to what he says. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant. Mm, what is he saying? For you are even like Pharaoh. Yes, you are even like Pharaoh. They knew he was second in command. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And we said to my Lord... It's hard to get over that lying thing once you, get, mm. once you get going with it. And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. Who his is young, 32, but yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> we'll take it. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. His father loves him. He alone is left. They don't even mention that the mother's deceased, and, and you know, it makes it even more poignant. Go on. Then you said to your servants... Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. So Judah's rehearsing the whole story to Joseph without knowing that's who he's talking to. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, <laughs> you shall see my face no more. Mm. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. So he's rehearsing the whole thing. But we said, we cannot go down. If, if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Mm. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. Because you remember they brought back his coat of many colors and it was covered with blood. They had just done that as a ruse, but go on. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, now Judah says, so therefore, having told the whole backstory. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. He will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. And then he mentions the surety issue. For your servant... Meaning himself. ...became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. And here's a, here's a noble moment. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. And so Judah's just pleading. He's got this great speech where he's just, just take me instead of him. It'll kill father if this happens. Take me instead of him. Let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 45. How does Joseph react to that moving speech when Judah gets close and is just laying the whole thing out in front of him, still with no idea who he's talking to? Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Now, see, it's been a test for Joseph. 
It's actually been difficult for Joseph to do this whole bit with the Egyptian and to throw them in prison and your spies and everything. And he gets to the point where he just can't keep it up any longer. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. See, this is his whole retinue of all the courtiers from the, you know, the Egyptian court. Uh, he sends them all out. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Mm. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. I picture them all at the door and like he's just, wah, now you get the truth, mm. right? Now you get the truth, just crying, crying at the top of his lungs. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. They must have still been a little baffled by it. He sends everybody out and then he's just weeping like, what? I don't know what's, mm -hmm. what happened. Did you, what did you say to him? Yeah. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Look at that. Even when he said, okay, this is the moment. I can't keep this up anymore. I have to tell you, here's who I am. How is dad doing? And they're all like, uh, you know, <laughs> they're just dismayed. They're not like, oh, this is great. You know, well, for one thing, they tried to it. kill him. It might be a little distressing to realize, oh, you're alive uh, and that's good. Somehow, I, you know, this sounds bad. They're dismayed. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Come near me. That's right. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph. And he Joseph. says it again. He has to say it because the denial is just like, I don't, I, I can't imagine what you're saying. What are you talking about? He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Yes, he's not sugarcoating the fact that they sold him into slavery. That's right. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Isn't that amazing? Do you hear the divine love in that? Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves. Because hmm. you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Yes, and he's been like monstrously successful at rescuing the whole known world. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here. You threw me in the pit. You sold me, but you did not make me into what I am now. You didn't set this whole thing up. Who did that? God. That it was, was not God. you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Wow. And Lord Joseph of all his house. Joseph is a father to Pharaoh. He's just 39, but he's a father to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Go on. And Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And let's just read one more verse here tonight, shall we? Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. That's right. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. It, it's, uh, it's really great. And tell him all about this. And oh, let's just read uh, verses 14 and 15 there. Because this all culminates in. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. You know, that means like hugging him, right? And Benjamin wept on his neck. This is a reciprocal kind of conjunction that he falls on Benjamin's neck and weeps and Benjamin weeps on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. 
This is the moment that the whole thing was building up to, and it was Benjamin who allowed the connection to be made. Once Benjamin and Joseph had hugged, then he was able to hug all the other brothers. Then he was able to talk with them. Uh, it broke through everything. And this is what he had been seeking and going for. And he knew that uh, Benjamin was the, the way to make this uh, connection. All right. Uh, so that's, that's what we'll read for this evening. Uh, I have a little graphic here for you, good friends, uh, for those of you who are getting the visual. Uh, up at the top... I've attempted to draw a Hebrew figure with a lot of curly hair and a big curly beard and everything. This is Joseph in his coat of many colors. You know, the, the, the last time they'd seen him, this is what he looks like. Down here, I've tried to depict him as a second-in-command to Pharaoh. He's got the whole Egyptian thing going on. He's got the beard and how it curls out at the end. It's all sort of braided, and he's got the eye makeup kind of thing and he's wearing that headpiece and the bands at the top of his shoulders and the ring around his neck and and all the gear and he's speaking Egyptian uh, it's amazing to think about the inside and the outside and yet the same person is still in there but they can't see him like one application of this to me is it's fascinating to me that there are people who are very very adamant about the idea of biblical literalism because to me, biblical literalism is taking this person, Joseph, the bottom one, as Zafnath Pa'anea, you know, believing the Egyptian, believing the you are spies, believing they'll get thrown in prison, not seeing the divine love, not seeing... What a picture we've been given here in these chapters of an entirely different thing on the inside than on the outside. And the outside is being worn for a very distinct purpose. He's doing a purpose not only for the brothers, but for everybody else. The brothers are a picture of those people, of the disciples, of the other, you know, his own people at that time. That he was in the world to try to save them, but also trying to save all the other nations too. But to do that, he had to totally get into the whole Egyptian thing. You know, he had, he had to wear the makeup, speak the language, do, do the whole thing that was Egyptian. So Joseph... On the inside, he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he is loving of his brothers, he weeps, he has to keep hiding the fact that he repeatedly he has to go out when it gets too bad, you know, and it's progressive, isn't it? First of all, he just turns aside and weeps. Then the next time, he has to go into the inner chamber. And then the third time, he can't even handle it. He just has to send all the rest of the Egyptians out of the room, and he just weeps aloud, and they still don't know what's going on. But that's what he's really feeling inside is this love. He understands the Hebrew language. He understands the Egyptian language. He knows who the brothers are. Inwardly, he's on top of everything. But where are the brothers? They see him as Zafnath Panea. They see him as entirely Egyptian. They see him speak Egyptian. He only speaks to them through an interpreter. He's a total stranger. He shows no emotion toward them, or very little, you know, keeps washing his face and all that. <laughs> uh, they have no idea who he is, and they don't understand his language. It's kind of a sad picture in a way, uh, but they just don't get it. And Benjamin is what is needed to make the connection. Uh, we've only got a few minutes to talk about 
uh, various different things that this means. Uh, one picture that I have is it wasn't it interesting that the land of Canaan was starving? They had no food up there, but Egypt had plenty of food. I think we've got a little bit of a situation like this today in our world where in terms of where is the truth located, where is there a lot of truth in a curious way, and you're absolutely welcome to vehemently disagree with me, good friends, but I think there's actually an interesting amount of truth, or certainly there's a recognized truth in science, in psychology, in you know, all these, like Egypt, Egypt has this abundant sense of truth. Uh, the, the, the churches are starving. They don't even know who Jesus is. They don't know what salvation is. They know nothing about life after death. You know, the, the, the churches are starving, and science has all this truth going on. It's a curious situation, you know, where you have to sort of beat a path into psychology or something to figure it out because the, the church has, has been losing that, religion has been losing that, that wisdom for a while. I love the picture, and I hope it comes across in what I've said already, of accommodation here. You know, the Lord coming to where, to where they are and totally being willing to represent himself as something other than he truly is in order to achieve some purpose. It must be very lonely for him, and it's difficult to keep it up. And so I think about Jesus, the young Jesus, reading this story and thinking about, wow, yeah, thinking about some time where he's going to be in this relationship with these other people who are his brothers, and he's going to understand what's going on with them, and they won't have a clue who he is. And they repeatedly think, he's being mean. You know, give the money back in the sack. Oh, no, our hearts fail. You know, oh, there's the cup. Oh, no, we're all dead. You know, even when he says, I'm Joseph, they go, oh, they're all dismayed. Basically, uh, is how they react to everything he says to them. <laughs> You know, and the Lord had to go through this when he was in this world where he's walking around just, just nothing but love and, and then he does a healing and then people say, well, I'm really upset and irritated that you did that healing. I mean, it's the Sabbath. Don't you know the rules? And, you know, uh, he's always getting this, this stuff from people. Um, I, I think this is so much like the, uh, the word, as I said before, like the Bible in our lives where for years and years when you read the Bible, you can think it's kind of yelling and speaking Egyptian. It can seem very foreign. Why is it talking about animal sacrifice and spattering blood and yelling about the end of times and, you know, you're all in trouble and you're all no good and shouting about the Ammonites and the Moabites and the, you know, Jebusites. And, and uh, it just seems so bizarre, you know. It, I think it's such a beautiful image that inside there, there is this love for the salvation of the whole human race. And the Lord loves us so much, He's willing to just come down and wear any outfit, do, any, you know, do whatever, seem like He's sort of deceiving us for the goal of being united to us. The other piece of this story that's very important, and I have no time to talk about it, but you're welcome to read chapters 7 and 8 in Swedenborg's Arcana Celestia if you wish to know what lies behind the story we've just related because those four chapters take about a thousand pages. Volume uh, 7 and 8? Volume 7 and 8, I mean. Volume 7 and 8 out of 12 of the, of the 12 volume Arcana Celestia or Secrets of Heaven. Uh, a huge amount of reading you have to do to understand uh, what's going on in these stories and even then uh, some assembly is required uh, you know you need to put together the elements and so forth to see what's going on but it's absolutely fascinating what you what you learn in there 
Um, I think I'll save for next time to talk a little more about Benjamin. The only thing I'll say at this point is that it was very, Joseph and Benjamin were meant to be together. When you think about what Jesus was going through in this world and what the Easter story is about, it's all about the Lord coming into this world. He's half divine, half human, and somehow getting those two opposite, incredibly irreconcilable things to talk to each other is depicted in this story. Joseph is like the divine. He knows exactly what's going on. The, the brothers, in a way, represent the outward part, Jesus' uh, lower self, uh, that's kind of clueless about what's going on. And the story goes back and forth between showing Joseph's wisdom and their cluelessness and shock and all that. Uh, and it's all about trying to bring them together. And Benjamin is this part that can make that connection. He's the part that can explain to the other brothers, oh, wait, this is Joseph. He's good. He means he's loving to you. Uh, people like the brothers need an intermediate to be able to connect to something higher. Uh, they can't do it on their own. As long as he's just talking to the brothers, they're having a terrible conversation. It's tense. Uh, they don't understand him at all. But when Benjamin gets into the situation, then he's able to say, I'm Joseph. Here's who I am. And try to set them at ease and so on. We'll see next time that he, he has to deal with their their fear a couple of times about, well, is he going to try to take revenge? And they still misunderstand him. And um, But he's nothing but love and forgiveness to them. And he has a kind of vision of how providence has made this all work out. So my closing thought, good friends, is that, um, is that in our lives, is it possible, can you relate to the brothers shuttling back and forth and oh no the cup was found now we have to go back into town again and and uh feeling dismayed feeling afraid well we're either going to starve or we have to give up the thing we love the most and and just tossed and turned and there's no way out like there's no way to tell us no this is good this is a good story it has a good outcome we can't believe it we're just we're just tossed along in our lives and and we don't see the good in it I, I hope that this story uh, does something to your spirit, good friends. It certainly does to mine, uh, that it tells me something about how this is a good story. It has a, it has a good ending. It's about the Lord's love and the way that he wants to be united to us. The same story that happened with the divine and the human in the Lord can happen on a finite scale in a very different way, but it can happen with us. The Lord wants to lift, up, lift us up. And this is why this story takes up so much of the Bible, because it's about God trying to reach down, pull us up, be loving. He has to appear very different than he is in order to try to get a conversation going, try to get things together, try to get the Father to move down, as we'll see next time, and, and get together. The Lord is trying to bring everything together. He's nothing but love and forgiveness. Uh, he's, he's not mad about, about the, the lousy things that we do or whatever. He just wants to be one with us. Uh, that's the nature of the divine love. He wants to be one with us forever, ever, ever closer, getting, getting better and better over time. And he's willing to go through anything to achieve that outcome. Will you join me in a prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's so bizarre that you would give us a story about yourself 
in which you are so misunderstood and which it seems that you perpetuate this misimpression on our part. Lord, we pray that you open our eyes. Let us see you. Let us glimpse you in this story, weeping in the back room. Let us know something of your divine love, of the longing that you have to be one with us, the perfect understanding that you have with us. You understand our language. We have no idea who you are, but you know who we are, and you know how to bring us together. We thank you, Lord. We pray for understanding of the moment when we find the cup, when we find the money in the sack, when it seems like all is lost or we're going to be slaves or killed or imprisoned or whatever. Thank you for hanging in there with us, Lord. We are, are rejoicing already for the good outcome that you have in mind. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep repenting, friends, so we can start to understand who the Lord is.